Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Last year in Kansas City, we had 150 homicides. About 40% of those cases in Kansas City in 2018 remain unsolved. Many are considered cold a heartbreaking reality for dozens of Metro families. Sometimes I have like two or three weeks at a time where I'm just down and I'm hurting and I'm grieving. You know, and I used to fight it, but now I just, when I hurt and when I do that, I just stay at home. Each victim has a unique story in life and death, with friends, family, detectives, and prosecutors all fighting for answers. He was just an amazing young man. Just one tip could help solve the case. This is Fox 4 Problem Solvers Crime Files, the podcast. I'm Kara Small. 1992 was a year of controversy and change in the United States. Space shuttle Endeavor made its first flight into space. Voters elected President Bill Clinton. And riots gripped Los Angeles after four white police officers were acquitted of the Rodney King beating. 1992 was also a violent year in Kansas City, Missouri. The police department was busy handling 151 homicides and nearly 135,000 other crimes across the city. In comparison, the total number of crimes dropped to less than 90,000 by 2016. But a Kansas City family vividly remembers one of those crimes in 1992, a homicide that they've waited nearly 30 years to be solved. It happened on July 26th. Mark Davis was 18 years old, staring 19 in the face. July 29th was just two days before his birthday. Mark and his mom, Corliss Davis, seem to have just overcome a strained relationship in their lives. Mark had dropped out of high school. His mom kicked him out of her house. She told him that he couldn't return until he went back to school and back to church. Instead, he decided to make his own choices. Mark and his girlfriend had a baby a daughter who in 1992 had just turned one year old. He also moved in with the mother of his daughter after learning she was pregnant again, this time with a son. By the middle of 1992, Corliss says Mark was turning his life around. He'd returned to church and on July 26, also to his mom's house. Corliss was heading out of town and Mark planned to visit the house while she was away. The evening seemed to be a good one for both mother and son. Well, he came over and he had been over the night before and spent the night and we had dinner and had a really fun time. And then the next day it was like, okay, well, I'm going to go play basketball with Tommy now. So we went down there to play basketball and they were, after they played basketball, they went and they were sitting on the porch. That pickup game triggered heartache as well as a 30-year search for answers for Corliss and her family. And the years just keep adding up. More on the case and the crime after this. What in the world is going on with the weather? From extreme heat and tornadoes to record rains and heavy snow, the weather outside can change in an instant. I'm Fox 4 meteorologist Joe Loria. I'll explain what's happening outside in Joe's Weather World, the podcast. Find it at the same place you'll listen to Fox 4 Crime Files.
Corliss Davis says her only son died doing what he loved. 18-year-old Mark Davis was playing a pickup game of basketball down the street from her house just blocks north of Rockhurst University on July 26, 1992. It was dusk that night near 51st and Tracy. That's when Corliss says she heard a sound she'll never forget. While it was still kind of light, the car kind of slowly went up and down the street a couple of times. And they didn't really think nothing of it because the street is real narrow, so they just thought it was somebody going and back, back and forth to somebody else's house. Um, but then as soon as it got dark, they came back and started shooting. And I heard the shot, but I thought it was a firecracker. Because in July, people tend to pop fireworks the whole month. And so I didn't think anything of it. I was in my kitchen cleaning out the refrigerator. Corliss says nothing happened for minutes. Then about 10 minutes after she heard the pop, someone knocked at the door to tell her that a gunman shot Mark and another man. I got a knock on the door saying that I needed to come around there, that Mark had got shot. And I just dropped everything and went around there. By the time I got around there, the police was already, you know, had him in the house working on him and stuff. And they wouldn't let me get close to him. The actions of police on the night Mark died is something that still bothers Corliss. Officers wouldn't let her close to her son. She wanted to hold his hand, talk to him, do something as he died. Instead, Corliss says officers kept her away from her son. I believe that when somebody's possibly dying, if they have a loved one in their ear talking to them, I love you, don't leave me, you know, things like that. I believe people can talk their loved ones, you know what I'm saying? I just think that touch, that love from a person that you know loves you. I didn't get that. It was taken away from me. And that's one thing I really, really want to see change. When people are dying, I know they have to get evidence and things, but they should let their loved ones be closer. I really do. That, that breaks my heart that I couldn't be close to my son when he was in pain. As Corliss waited and prayed for her son, paramedics did what they could. Then they rushed him to the hospital. Corliss says she was forced to follow the ambulance. They were going to have to take him to the hospital. And I'm thinking, well, that means he's still alive, you know? So they wouldn't let me go in the ambulance with them. They would not let me go in the ambulance with them. I had to meet them at the hospital. And I'm thinking, that's just terrible. Like, why couldn't I get in the ambulance with my own child? After she arrived at the hospital, Corliss says, along with family and friends, they waited and waited. They learned the other man shot survived his injuries. Mark did not. It took him like maybe an hour to tell us he died. But my understanding was that he passed away because the bullet hit him in the chest and it pierced his heart. Nearly 30 years later, Corliss says she's still waiting to find out exactly what happened that night. Police do have some information about Mark's murder, just not a lot, and nothing that will solve the case. What officers do know comes from Mark's friends who were on the basketball court with him the night he died. They caught a glimpse of the car the shooter drove. They say there were four black men inside a brown sedan, and they drove up and down the street several times as Mark and his friends played basketball. The description of the car is similar to another crime reported in the same area and around the same time as Mark's shooting. The night of July 26, 1992, police say a brown Chevrolet celebrity pulled up and robbed someone on a street near the plaza. The robbery happened about 10 minutes away from where Mark was shot, and police say the robbery isn't solved either. That's where both cases stalled. Police tried to track down the brown car and came up empty-handed. Officers also know at least four people, and likely many more, witnessed the shooting. 
That's one thing that frustrates Corliss. She says someone, probably many people, know who killed her son. She's not even sure that Mark was the intended target the night he died. Corliss believes someone close to her son can likely identify the shooter who took his life. They know it wasn't a random shoot-up porch. They know that. What I heard was that they were after somebody's cousin who lived in that house. Everybody in that house knew who was after their cousin. And I believe the whole family that lived in that house knew who it could have possibly been or knew who their cousin or nephew was hanging around. Whoever somebody was after, they know who was after them. You know, and they, they, the, the street coders, maybe a lot of times they don't know who's after them, but that's bull. Most of the time, the street knows who's after them. And it's so ironic that when I first moved over there and my son met the guy that lives in the house, him and the guy was walking up the street one day and he was bringing him to meet me. And I met him and after I met him, I told my son, I said, I don't like him. There's something about him that I do not like. It turns out Corliss's first impression of her son's friend may have been the right one. Call it a mother's instinct. While Corliss doesn't have answers in Mark's death, she says it's his family, including Mark's two grown children, that help make life bearable. I think what helps a lot is his daughter. Um, <laughs> she was one and he loved her so, so much. And then his girlfriend was pregnant. And he has a son now that is 26 years old. His son never met his father. And his daughter has two children now, so I have two great-grandchildren, and they're always asking about Papa Mark that they never got to see. Corliss says while her great-grandchildren never met Mark, they know who he is. His three-year-old granddaughter. It's like she senses him because one day I showed her a picture of him on my phone, and she took the phone, and she looked at the picture. She said, that's my Papa Mark, and then she kissed the phone. It's just, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And that's why I don't really want another mother to have to go through this, because it's, it's constantly happening, and these people aren't thinking about the people that they're leaving behind. While the investigations wear on detectives over the weeks and years, Corliss says it's agony for the families involved. It's been a roller coaster, and it will continue to be a roller coaster. Some days I really have to struggle just to get out of the bed, because I know when I get out of the bed and go out of my house, it's going to be a lot of stuff. Sometimes I have like two or three weeks at a time where I'm just down and I'm hurting and I'm grieving. You know, and I used to fight it, but now I just, when I hurt and when I do that, I just stay at home. I don't like being around happy people who have all their children, you know, because some days I just can't take it. And when I have those days, I just stay away from everybody. And these people that are doing the killing, they don't understand. They may be killing that person, but they're killing the people that are still alive. They're taking our lives from us. For no, We didn't do anything to you. You hurt us by taking somebody that you were, whatever your reason was. You didn't just hurt that person. You hurt everybody that was connected to that person, and we're still here. That's not fair. It's not fair. Nope. Not there at all. Over the decades, Corliss Davis has tried to stop the violence herself. She poured herself into community projects to fight crime right outside her doorstep. It didn't work, and Corliss says while she was hoping to heal through her work, it was keeping her in the same place, reliving Mark's murder. The time really doesn't help because when it's happening every day, 
like there's a knife in my heart and every time I turn on the news, somebody else's son has been murdered the same way mine have. It won't be a drive-by, but it was with a gun and it was unexpected. So now another mother has to walk around with the knife stuck in, and every time I see it, it's like somebody's turning the knife. And it's hard to forget when it's constantly happening every day. It's just always every other day, somebody's son or daughter is dying. And that makes no sense. There, there has to be something that can stop this. There, there has to be. Corliss knows there is something that can stop all of the violence in Kansas City, but she realizes it's not going to happen until people decide they finally had enough. People have to stop with this. Well, I don't want to be a snitch. A snitch is somebody that does something with you and then tells on you. That's a snitch. A witness is somebody who saw something happen and tell what they saw. This cycle can stop with knowing the difference in snitching and witnessing. There's a big difference. People need to understand if they see us talking and telling what we saw happen, we're not snitching. We're helping our community. We're saving each other's lives. And we're saving other mothers and families from all the heartbreak and the hurt. She believes that people need to be much less concerned about what other people think and much more focused on doing the right thing and being interested in what's happening in their neighborhoods, their communities. According to Corliss, if things don't change soon, there will be another generation stuck in the same cycle of violence. It just makes our children feel hopeless. You know, our young children that are like 15 and 16, they don't really feel like they have a future anymore because of all the hopelessness. It's very sad that our children cannot even look forward to maybe their next birthday. You know, and I even have grandchildren that be like, well, I don't care about this and I don't care about that because they feel like things are hopeless. And we have to stop this cycle. It's, it's too much. And for us as a race of people, it makes us look a certain kind of way, like we don't care about each other. Well, we do love each other. We really do. But we have to do better. We really, really have to do better. Corliss says she is also trying to do better. She spent time mentoring women who were living through or survived domestic violence. She also plans to get involved in future projects to make Kansas City safer for everybody. Until then, she's fighting to find the person responsible for her own son's murder. Corliss hopes the $25,000 reward now being offered will convince someone to give police the anonymous tip needed to finally make an arrest in Mark's death. Claiming the reward is as easy as calling the tips hotline at 816-474-TIPS and sharing what you know. You can also send your tip to kccrimestoppers.com or send your tip through the Crime Stoppers app. You can download it at p3tips.com. To listen to other episodes of Fox 4 Crime Files, search for them on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, as well as fox4kc.com. For Fox 4 Crime Files, I'm Kara Small.